I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. I'm Dave Kittle, practice owner of Concierge Pain Relief in New York City, and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group, currently speaking with practice owners about partnering or acquiring some or all of their practice. And today we have Devin Craig on the show. He's an entrepreneur and a broker and advisor at Peterson Acquisitions. We're going to hear more about his history in buying businesses, now currently trying to sell a business and also helping business owners navigate their exit strategy. Devin, welcome on. Hey, thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. Excellent. So we connected over on LinkedIn and you're staying super busy in regards to your recent history of a couple of different businesses and buying a business and now looking to either sell that business or a separate business so you can certainly fill in the gaps there. And then also we're going to talk about what you're doing with Chad Peterson at Peterson Acquisitions, where you and that company are helping business owners with exiting and selling on the broker side of things. So let's... Uh, Catch the audience up a little bit about your background and then kind of like fast forward into buying and selling businesses and now helping business owners on the broker side. Yeah, for sure. So I was a corporate employee for a long time, worked for a lot of different big brands that people would recognize in all different capacities, mostly you know operations and mid-level management type stuff. And my wife went off on her own and got her, uh, started her own business. She's a marriage and family therapist, an awesome one. And she's been doing that for years now. And I don't know, I just kind of was inspired by her story and journey. And I got that little entrepreneurial bug. I'm like, man, I want to I do that too someday, right? And so I started doing some stuff on the side, uh, turned a little bit of my passion and stuff I had studied in organizational development and leadership and stuff like that. Started to try to make that into a business and started doing speaking and consulting and stuff like that. And I thoroughly enjoyed it, did make some money doing it, but life happens and we had you know kids and stuff like that never could turn it into this full thing and so got the seed planted in my mind like hey why not go circumvent that growth process and go buy something and try looking for something that was along the lines of this business I was starting and I just started kind of following people who talk about this topic there wasn't that many of them who talk about this topic of like buying a business as a way to become an entrepreneur essentially you know acquisition preneur and um so I, I researched everything that I possibly could and learned a ton and eventually did end up buying my first business near where I live here in, in Washington State. And uh, yeah, that was a phenomenal experience. I learned a ton. I was super excited to become an entrepreneur. I really found my, my space. Okay, yeah, this is what I want to do is you know, uh, invest into and run small businesses. So I bought that first one and then I just got the bug from there. Decided, okay, I want to keep doing this. Bought a second one, not too much later, like I think a year later. And they just kept going. And through that process, I was also investing in mentorships and mind, the masterminds and courses that talk about this. And again, there weren't a lot out there, but the ones that were out there were good and expensive, but they all focused ultimately on just very specific things, right? Like 
how to basically creatively buy a business, not using a lot of your own money and things like that. Essentially, a lot of them talk about the same thing. So yeah, what I found is they they talked about really good things as related to the deal process, deal making process. But it was always came down to you've got to you know skip past brokers and go straight to sellers and try to find non-listed deals and off-market deals and all the focus was on that and that's good and fine but it realizes that also is a very small niche of things and so as I was starting to reach out to sellers of businesses I found some that I didn't want to buy but I was willing to sell help them to sell but I kind of had a bad taste in my mouth about some of the business brokers I interacted with and the fact that I was going through courses that told me like hey most business brokers are just in your way. And so I had a, I didn't want to become one of those things. And so I reached out to a friend and a mentor who had helped me through this process of buying businesses, was a multi-business owner himself, and but he also happened to be a business broker. And so I talked to him about that because what I told him was, it's like, if I was going to do it, I'd want to do it his way. And so he invited me to join him. But through that process of like educating myself about business brokering, I found another really unique uh, person in Chad Peterson and Peterson Acquisitions and how they were approaching it. And so when I learned more about them and what they're trying to do across the nation and the plan that they had, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. That's what I want to do. So yeah, really excited to be part of uh, Peterson Acquisitions and now a business broker, but in a different sense than what I've experienced. So yeah, excited to revolutionize this space just like Chad's wanted to do. Excellent. And we're going to get into the, the title here. Your exit plan is the most important plan. But before we do that, just for context for the audience, what were the two businesses that you have acquired? One was a direct mail marketing and like mail management company. And the, it's been around for like 25 years. Previous owner, want to retire, want to be done. So yeah, just just looking to, to get out. It was listed. I went through broker, kind of a traditional process, financed it through the SBA, that kind of thing. So got that on the company, but company's doing really well. And there was plenty of good things that could be improved in the company. So that's going well. Second one was also in a similar space, but is more consumer focused. It's like pack and ship, and it's like almost like a you know UPS type location esque, and yeah, more retail focused. So that, but same situation, just someone who's ready to be done and move on, and and uh, yeah, bought that from them. That was also listed and financed and everything like that. So yeah, so two businesses in similar space. I still do some of my consulting, and now I was in business brokerage. And now you're looking to sell one of those or both of those. Eventually both, but one for now. And the reason for that is partly what we talk about at Peterson Acquisitions. Part of what we talk about there is, yes, we do help people do deals, but we also help business owners think through just transition plans in general, hence the title here of like, think through your exit plan, right? And that means both two things really is like, is your business sellable, right? So have you built in systems and processes and is there healthy cash flow? And always having that be ready is is smart. And then um, secondly, really is okay. Then what do I do after that, right? Because most of us think that's a one time lifetime thing event. It doesn't. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. There could be other things you could plan to do too. So, for most small business owners, that's where the majority of their net worth is. And so, thinking through how to move that money forward creatively is also another smart idea at some point too. So we talk about both, but that's why I'm selling one of them is because the equity of I built into it. And now I can move that money forward into uh, the next adventure, essentially. And for me, that's going to be partnering with Peterson to do some of the uh, small business purchases and, and capital company that we have as part of our company. Yeah, that's really awesome. And at the same time, there's practice owners, business owners listening now that are maybe thinking about just exiting in the next maybe year or two, and some that are 
probably earlier on and maybe thinking about like the next three to five years. And one thing that you mentioned in the pre-interview is like, it's, it's never too early. It doesn't matter someone's age or where they're at. Maybe we can dive in. I definitely like, I think we're going to kind of interweave a little bit more of what you're doing with Peterson acquisitions. Cause I think that's super relevant. Also a second thing, like your content, your, you've been putting out some YouTube videos. So we want to get to that as well. Cause I think there's some similarities there of like what I'm doing, like putting this out, mm-hmm. but in terms of like, you being able to have a, some commonality with the audience here where they're looking to, if they're listening or watching now, they're thinking about this in some form or fashion. One thing you mentioned, mm-hmm. I want to start off with in the pre-interview, you said that you want to have practice owners, business owners, you want them to think about this before they have to, like before there's like a medical issue or like they have exactly. to, like they're pressured or they're in a bad spot or situation. But that kind of goes against a lot of conventional wisdom with humans because like we don't like change. We don't like to you know, necessarily think about those types of things. So what would be like one tip or one piece of advice that you could give the audience in regards to thinking like addressing something? And this is against humans behavior. Address mm-hmm. something before it's like needs to be addressed. How could someone even confront that or think about it? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Well, think about it in terms of like two different things like something for example like insurance like why do we purchase insurance <laughs> because we know that bad stuff happens sometimes so same thing here i'm just suggesting you have an insurance policy you've designed you've built for your business specifically and that could mean a ton of different things i uh, was recently talking to someone who works in, for new york life and we were potentially you know collaborative partners who could refer each other we serve the same clients and uh, he's got all kinds of different approaches he can use where someone wants to do an internal transition and whatever. But I mean, long story short is like, we buy insurance to prepare for the worst and everyone has to have it, you know, in often instances, it's legally required to have it in some places, like with auto insurance and things like that. Like, why would you not think about that? Or also think about another good example is like a will. Right. Or something along those lines where you say, like, something bad happens to me. What do I want to have happen to my kids or to my assets or to my legacy? Well, yeah, of course, you're exactly right. Dave. No one loves to think about that stuff. And all of us know it'd be dumb if we didn't, because then we're going to get caught in trouble. Unfortunately, everyone knows that that's the fact and true with insurance and things like wills, but still doesn't do it with one of the biggest and most important assets in their lives, which is their small business and where most of their probably their net worth is caught up into. So I don't know why we would do that. You know, it's not that bright. Maybe there's a mention of it in a will or something like that, but it needs to be much more robust than that. Yeah. And so another thing would be like when family has children like in kindergarten or grade school and they've like already established like a college fund, that's kind of like a similar thing. But you mentioned with like the insurance policy, some of those might be like legally required or whatever, but there's no requirement for an exit strategy or an exit plan. I think like that's part of like, it's kind of like so many businesses just like close up, they wind down, you know, even before COVID, COVID just was, you know, an accelerant to a lot of that type of stuff. Right. Yeah. But, and also think about this way too. Okay. Yeah. So a exit strategy for your business, not required like other types of insurances or whatever, but how many businesses will transition every single freaking one, (laughs) every single one will go through some sort of transition of leadership or just closes down, but that would still be a transition. That's a transition. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say is like every single business will go through some kind of transition, but exactly to your point. I mean, statistically speaking, 
most small businesses transition reactively. The top 10 reasons are health, bored burnout, divorce, you know, just retirement, like what cannot physically continue or whatever, right? Or whether it's for planned retirement or not planned retirement, whatever. But most of the time it's reactive, you know, and it's it's not something that we really gave a lot of thought to. And it just kind of came and went. And hence why there's a lot of problems in the small business transition or selling or whatever process and why there's still so much of a you know myth and misunderstanding and whatever. And that's part of the reason why I was passionate to do this because I'm like, man, I cannot believe how many people just don't understand how this all works. And it's just the travesty, you know, because small business owners are the ones who they are this country, you know, that they're the ones who employ everybody. I mean, they deserve hands down our um, education and support and help the most because they're really driving this country forward in so many different ways, right? The ones who are really making sure services out there for people and they work the hardest and oftentimes get the little, the, the smallest in terms of, you know, ROI on their efforts or ROI on their money and the risk that they take. And it doesn't have to be that way. They can be, as long as with a little bit of education, they can actually have much more proactive plans and go through plan transitions in their life where it's, you know, something that they want to have happen and not just happen to them. Yeah. And if they're proactive, they'll probably have less stress. They'll be able to sleep better at night. But if they're proactive Mm -hmm. about this whole process of exit strategy and exit planning, what might that benefit them or what might that help them with as they get closer to selling or exiting? Like whether financially, they might get higher offers or better offers, or they might be structured in a way that makes that transition easier where they're not having to be retained for one or two or three years during that transition? Like what are, what are some things that you've seen or heard that would, if they put some time and effort in now on a exit strategy and an exit plan, how could it make that future stage easier or better for them? Well, I'll talk about future and I'll talk about present. So if you even just talk about present. So part of the reason why I talk about exit plans, your most important plan, because when you think about it that way, you are forced to look at your business as a system, like a little ecosystem. And you know, you have people that are fulfilled their roles. You have things that have to happen each day. You've got to make sure you know you get paid or you pay what you need to, right? And that the services are rendered effectively, operations are effective. So it forces you to step back and work on your business, like what Michael Gerber talks about with EMeth, right? And to force you to actually look at your business as a system. And so if you're working on the system of the business, even if it's someone, you know, like yourself, Dave, who's like, you are one of the, you know, clinicians or the healthcare practitioners where it's like, I really got to be hands-on to in order to fulfill, that's fine. But there still may be ways for you to step back and, you know, involve other folks who have those same skills and licenses and et cetera to help you to fulfill the services within the business. And you more so take that management or systems approach. And so that way you can take a vacation. I'm literally listing a business right now of someone who's not in this space, in a different space, automotive space, hasn't taken a vacation in like 12 years. And I'm like, why? <laughs> what are you doing? And most of it came down to, he hasn't looked at his, his a business as a system. And I don't know, I, I almost feel guilty. Like I said, I own two businesses. I don't work in them every day. I almost feel guilty about not going there every day. And But when I do, I'm high-fiving the heck out of my team. But we've built a system that runs itself and it doesn't require my daily operational presence. And so first and foremost, it can help you just have like space to work on your business and do other things that can grow your business because that's your responsibility as owner and CEO is have a vision for that business. Is it going to grow? Is it going to be known for being this really unique, special thing? 
within our community or do we want to grow into other communities? Like if you're just in the business day in and day out as the technician, which I'm sure it could be, and I know it is the case with folks um, kind of in the, the healthcare space, if they're the one holding the hat and the license, it's easy just to fall into that and only do that every single day versus also see themselves as that business owner too, where they're building a brand and business and a system and an operation then that they can get stuck in that trap of years on end with no vacation or you know don't have a lot of flexibility that the business should be providing them. So that's first in the present. But in future wise, yes, absolutely. What the beautiful thing about doing that does is it ideally ultimately makes it more sellable. Because what when I went to go buy a business, what I was looking for was what can I do in this business and can it give me what I'm looking for in terms of cash flow and income because I was coming out of corporate um, and also, can it give me some creative space and freedom? But then also, could I also get some time freedom? That's specifically what I was looking for. Was kind of get you know buy back some of my time because I see the potential within this business that once I do get it to the point that it's running without me, that I could have time back. Right now, ideally, I got to purchase that business less than for what it was worth because those things weren't in place. So I had to build those things. So it was eighteen months of grind. To me, to get to that point, now it's running without me. The cash flow has improved because we've been able to reinvest in systems and process and people within that business. And now that business is going to sell for a lot more. That's where part of the equity came from is what I built within the business. And so uh, a lot of that uh, growth and equity that I'm going to be able to sell for and use that equity to move forward into another larger business all came from me actually doing those things that I should have done already. When I started doing it, I didn't do it with the intention to sell later for a higher multiple, but now that's what's happened organically because I've worked myself out of the business. So now it's even that much more attractive. Someone else can come in and they could even keep their day job and own this business if they wanted because of how I built it. And so um, oftentimes that's what someone wants is they want an asset they can invest into. They have a little more control over than maybe buying a stock or something, right? Um, but then they could, if they wanted to apply some other time and creative energy to build something into it, if they don't, and they can't, or they don't want to, whatever, they don't have to, right. Depending on how sellable it is, depending on if it's a system that works and runs without the owner, because the last thing anyone wants, I mean, most businesses that are a solopreneur business, most, not all, but many are unsellable because once that owner's out of it, the business is gone, <laughs> right. There's no one there to operate. Or that's why oftentimes those folks are forced to have to stick around for a while longer and have an extended transition because they hadn't already thought of that ahead of time. So if you don't want the extended transition, you want something that's more attractive to folks, even if initially you're taking less cash flow because you're not you know, filling in the payroll essentially of the operation, that's fine. Then as you're working on the business, you should be able to do that. As you're creatively working on how to make the system run better or grow the capacity of the business or grow the, the profitability of the business, all of that's naturally gonna lend to higher cash flow which will then in turn also give you higher multiples on your profit and be a higher sellable, but also be more attractive in sale because again, it's not built all around you as the owner. Very well said. I don't have any rebuttals to that because you're you're right on. And I definitely agree with everything that you said. You're putting out videos on YouTube and I'll tag you guys or I'll tag you in the, in the show notes here, but at Devin Craig business on YouTube. So youtube.com slash at Devin Craig business. So you're putting out content definitely resonated with me because it's similar to my approach and our strategy here. So you mentioned a little bit more about you're helping business owners, you're helping them with this whole process, as opposed to just like very transactional, like, do you want us as a broker or not? And like, not all, but many brokers or advisors might be that way. Why put out videos? Why put out content for, is it more for just, is it like marketing for Peterson Acquisitions? 
yourself? Like why put out these videos to kind of assist in the content and the points that we're talking about today? Yeah, all of the above. Because uh, like I said, I, I'm really on this mission and so is Chad and everyone else at Peterson to really empower small business owners. Like I mentioned, they're the, they're the ones who are really you know building this country. They're the ones that employ the most people. They're the ones driving the innovation in the country. And so we really, and all of us, by the way, at Peterson are small business owners like me, right? And so we are trying to do what we would want differently, which is we want someone who's going to be a true advisor and help us think through the exit plan really proactively. You know, we do valuations for folks and give them a rough idea, not the, you know, traditional, highly certified, highly expensive valuations, which oftentimes aren't going to fly in the marketplace, you know, in terms of what's bankable and what's people are willing to pay for. We are in the market and say, this is what it's actually going to sell for, right? Anyway, so we do all of that. How much do you charge for those in case someone is watching or listening? Big fat zero, nothing. Nothing. Awesome. So yeah, we just give those away for free because we want people to know and understand. And also we get that like, we look at that as a loss leader, like hopefully that by experiencing working with us on something like that, that they appreciate our style and approach. But I mean, long story short is like, it doesn't take us that long to do that once we have all the relevant, relevant information, but we do that as a service to folks. Um, and that again, hopefully they come back and work with us. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm a big teacher and trainer and I just enjoy doing that. And I feel like, you know, anywhere I've gotten in life, I've had to go through education or looked at mentors who are in person or virtually digitally, whatever. And so I want to be able to do that for others. I've learned a ton through this process and, and I want to empower, like I said, those small business owners to think differently about their, their most important and largest asset, which is their small business and make sure they've actually given it some thought. Because yeah, I think it's a travesty that most folks are so reactive in that process and all they would need is a little bit of education to get, get somewhere better. That's why we have an education company within the Peterson brand too, is for that exact purpose. But also to think about not just, okay, preparing for that process, going through that process, but then even after that process, we even have ideas, you know, too many other brokers we, we come up against, maybe talk about that a little bit, but we have a genuine approach. Granted, you know, we think it's an excellent one, but we give other options too, or we talk about other options too, but we have a genuine uh, approach to a capital company. Hey, and if you, you're a small business owner, if you want to reinvest back in small businesses, we have a capital company where we go buy businesses because you can still have a little bit more control, but you don't have to be the hands-on one doing it every day. And uh, along with, like I said, that education, we just want it to be a, a whole ecosystem for small business owners to really think through, you know, every stage of the process they might be in their business, even though we may not like physically do like, for example, the consultation of like, okay, this is what you need to do in your business today. Right now, we might give that advice, but we don't do the actual, you know, shoulder to shoulder work with them necessarily. That's not our it, business line. Yeah. You're not, you're not other imp- business coaches. Yeah. You're not implementing it or doing accountability or that type of stuff. No, no, but we have plenty of education products. And then we even in our local markets, like I have multiple different business uh, consultants and coaches that that's what they do that I work with to say like, hey, you're not quite ready yet, but go talk to so-and-so. They're going to help you out. And then I'll see you in six, 12 months or whatever. And um, so, yeah, we don't necessarily do that, but we do want to provide support to those folks. But we help on the, yes, the transaction side, thinking through that liquidity, what to do about it, how, you know, how to handle that. And then also on the back end too, if you want to go buy the next one, let's go do it. That's exactly what I'm doing. So yeah, just a unique way of kind of approaching it. This, yeah, it's not just the pure transaction. And even how we do the transaction is even unique to us too. You know, highly confidential. We don't just dole out information. I probably signed personally 500 NDAs at least on businesses that have been listed. 
vast majority of the time, they never even asked if I was like a human being or real, you know, like, so we don't do that either. I mean, every step of the way, we're trying to be super thorough, essentially, right? Thorough, confidential, sensitive, and a true partner. And uh, that's what really makes me unique. But that's, I feel like that's our responsibility because of the people that we're serving. You know, it's like I said, the builders of the, of the country, these small business owners. So that's why we're so passionate about it. That's awesome. So you're usually doing like a phone call or a Zoom call before you'll send out an NDA for it to be signed and executed by a potential buyer? Or what we do is we ask for pertinent information. So phone calls so like, could be part of it. Or a proof of funds or some, something like that. Yeah, financials and you know just some verifiable information that they live in the geography or whatever. Like we just ask for more than just please sign this NDA and we'll send you everything we got. You know, it's we have a very kind of strict, stringent process. There's a buyer profile, a personal financial statement, a phone call, even before yeah, we're sending anything out to them. Yeah, so some just for example. Yeah, so extra filters, qualifiers. You're trying to just filter out like the inexperienced folks or the tire kickers or whatever you're, you're looking to like not waste time and get qualified exactly. p- potential buyers for your exactly clients. right. Yep. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Cause for those folks who think, cause I mean, for the longest time I thought to myself like, Oh, I can just go sell my own business. But now going through the process, now learning more about brokering and consulting through that process. I'm like, Oh my gosh, thank goodness. I did not consider doing that myself because there's a lot to it. You know, there's a ton to it when you have to go to the market, if you have a very specific plan, cause you know, you know, I'm selling to Dave. Okay, yeah, you probably you may want an advisor just to give a little bit of input, but maybe not go to the full market if you know Dave's the guy. But yeah, if you know you need to go to the market because you don't have a specified either person or persons or whatever taking that order from you, then yeah, I mean, you want to for sure have some help through that process because it can be on average, I think we see between 50 and 100 buyers inquiring about businesses across the country. It's the same everywhere. Sometimes they get upwards in the hundreds. So could you imagine just feeling all yourself and trying to do visits and tours with each one of those people and 75% of them aren't actually qualified or really want your business? Like, what a pain. No way. No thanks. So yeah, it does pay to work with someone who knows what they're doing and has processes and systems set up to help you through this process. If you know, you don't have a very clear specific plan of who you're going to end up transitioning with. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So in regards to with Peterson, you guys will entertain potential sellers, like you might acquire the practice or the business, some or all the business, the ones that maybe look appealing and others, you will just strictly be the broker. Is that correct? Exactly right. Yeah. So as a business, any business owner listening, are there common themes or patterns that you see that without mentioning any names or anything like what would be some of the, and maybe it's some of the owners that already have like a well-defined exit strategy and and they're like, they know exactly what they want. They kind of understand the whole process. What are some other things that make these businesses? I mean, obviously the ones that you're going to select and, and quote unquote cherry pick for acquiring instead of being just the broker, those businesses probably have a lot of other things, better margins, better cash flow. Are there any other patterns or signals that you see with some of those businesses versus the ones that you end up just being the broker on, but not acquiring? Yeah. So what I would say is like anyone who goes out there to buy businesses, they typically develop something in this space called a buy box, whether they refer to it that as or not, just essentially like, Hey, what kind of a thing do I want to go buy? Kind of like I'm going to go buy a car. Well, I want a Chevy. I want a truck. Okay, there's a several different kinds or whatever. And so let me go kind of narrow it down. So you have like this 
range or field of criteria that you have, and then you go after that. So Peterson, our buy box, not because this has to be or should be, this is just what we are seeking out, is that there are businesses with, yes, a good, strong, healthy cash flow of a certain minimum amount. Because most of our deals, we actually really love to leverage because of how awesome this program is, the SBA financing program to buy businesses because of the amount of leverage that you can get and because how low risky it is. It's a really excellent program to help people really do exactly what I did, start entrepreneurship and then grow your wealth into even more and do it over and over again with the SBA. And so we like to buy things that are within that SBA criteria. SBA has a, a lending cap of $5 million on a business acquisition business. So we're typically staying around just, we try to push that threshold basically, you know, get up to something that could be valued up to that. So that we're maximizing cash flow and enterprise value. But then the other things that we look for are a lot of things I already described, right? Owners, not the business, which when you're getting to that size, typically that's probably not the case anyways, of that size of value, by the way, that's not revenue, but that's valuation of the business. So the multiple of the cash flow. And uh, so business, you know, that the owner is not like married into the business and uh, it would be difficult to replace something that did not just well through COVID, but was stable through COVID, right? Because plenty of businesses either saw one of two things through COVID, a massive spike like Amazon did, and then whoop, came right back down because now people can actually go outdoors, you know, and go shop or whatever. And so that's why we saw those tech layoffs or whatever, right? Largely related to that because they just overshot themselves and thought this is, this is going to ride forever, you know? So we look for not necessarily that saw a big spike in COVID, but were really stable through COVID, right? And that because people still needed that service, it was essential, or because they valued that particular brand or company or whatever, and uh, didn't want it to go away. We try to take in, into account, it was like one of those industries where it was like, you were forced to not do business. Okay, yeah, we kind of give some, some, um, uh, some grace to that. But most of the time, we're looking for just stable through COVID, been around for years, just those long-term, stable, steady eddy businesses that are just boring and, you know, not, we don't chase down the tech stuff. We don't chase down life sciences and all that other stuff where there's like, you know, so high and lows and they sell based on pre-revenue and IP. IP in a business is nice, but, you know, not necessarily a prerequisite for us, but something that makes that business stable, but also a little bit unique. So if there is IP, that's excellent. Um, or if there's something else that makes it unique, that there's some kind of you know, like what uh, Buffett always talks about, some kind of a moat around it. Maybe that's like just that local longevity and reputation and whatever, you know, something along those lines could be something that just makes that thing unique. So it doesn't have to be something legally protectable, but something that really kind of gives us some something proprietary or, um, you know, special basically. So yeah, we lo look at all those different factors that I've already described, but also those additional kind of uniqueness and steadiness through COVID are another big one too. Awesome. This is not uh, legal advice. Please speak with your accountant. Please speak with your lawyer. But I want to ask you, we're talking about exit strategy. What approximately, maybe it's, it's going to be always different for different business owners, but we're talking about exit strategy. Some of it could come from the broker advisor side or the intermediary side, or especially a side like you guys that are a little bit more boutique. You want to have more of a higher touch or you are kind of interacting and communicating with a lot of these business owners throughout the continuum of their decision-making process instead of just at the point of like they want to exit and sell and they need a broker. So maybe you guys have a higher touch. What percentage of these business owners that are looking to develop an exit strategy, let's say in the next year or two, approximately with what you've seen, what percentage of the exit strategy comes from or kind of flows through you guys or a firm like you guys 
as well as like then the other components of like their attorney, their accountant, their wealth advisor, their financial advisor, maybe each of those individuals might be 25% approximately, maybe the financial advisor and the wealth advisor is a big component of that. And then you guys are a big component of that 50-50. I don't know, like what percentage have you seen of those types of professionals be involved in a business owner's exit strategy? Um, so only about 20 to 30%, this is just the statistics, only about 20 to 30% end up getting listed on the markets um, to be sold of small businesses that are going to go through some kind of a transition. So typically it's actually a smaller percentage. So many of the rest of them will just close the doors to many of them, unfortunately, pass down to a kid, pass down to someone else, just in an informal way or work through CPA. CPAs and lawyers are typically always involved to some level because there is some legal and always a financial and tax implication to any kind of transition typically anyway. So they're almost always involved some way, shape or form. Wealth advisors and brokers are kind of the ones who are like, if they know they need to go to the market and they want to expand their options of how they want to sell, then they come and work with brokers. So again, that's if like you don't have a really clear, solid plan, even if you've got kids and they're even involved in the business, but they're not specifically showing that, you know, burning desire to want to take it over, then yeah, you may want to look at multiple different options, bring in another owner where that that kid, if they're maybe even still too young or whatever, that could be partner with them or that your kid could go off and try their um, desires in some other space for the meantime, and then come back to the business later, whatever, who knows. But if you don't have a very, very, very clear delineated plan where you could probably do something in, more informal, where you're just involving a CPA or and or um, lawyer, then yeah, going and working with the broker is a smart idea because then you just expand those ideas and options of other ways that you could transition. First of all, just in talking through the plan, let alone actually going through the process of putting it on the market. And then same thing with the wealth advisor, like you're only going to them once that deal is done and you got a bunch of cash in the bank. You're like, okay, what do I do with this now? <laughs> Basically, right? And so, um, and you may not get a liquidity event like that necessarily if you go through a more informal process. You're definitely not going to get it. Obviously, if you close the doors. And that's another sad thing to see too, is like too many business owners don't realize the value of what they have, right? And even get something for it. I was talking to a CPA last week because I'm reaching out to local CPAs too and uh, just talking to them how we can serve this you know, mutual clientele. And uh, he said that he picked up more business because CPA down the road just closed the doors. And he proactively, just out of the kindness of a heart, called the CPA and said, hey, I'm happy to at the minimum like pay you back for some of these leads that are coming my way. If you're like proactively help me to like encourage them to come to me type thing. So, you know, kind of a sort of a quasi acquisition, but not necessarily. Right. But that other CPA just didn't even know what he had. He had something valuable there and, and uh, he's now going to end up getting paid for it, but just differently than he thought. But that happens all over the place, you know, that uh, people just don't quite know what they have. And if they just thought it through and, and took advantage of it and talked to either a broker or wealth advisor uh, whatever. Talk to the people who like, that's their lane. And that's the other thing I, I see too, is too many of these folks, you just described a lot of folks who could be involved in the process of helping someone talk through their transition plan or their exit plan. Right. And what I would just caution folks to do is like, go to the people who that's their lane. Okay. Meaning like, okay, someone like me, I help in the actual deal and putting the deal together. And oftentimes what you should be looking for a broker is a great quarterback, someone who's actually going to work with all those different folks and make sure bank, SBA, lawyer, CPA. Okay, guys, are we on the same team here? Is everyone doing their role? And far too often what happens is either just because brokers not being as engaged or active in the process that someone else will kind of overstep in a process 
are part of the process maybe they shouldn't or being not as active as they should be in a part of the process they should and then deal doesn't get done takes too long we get deal fatigue valuation is not correct whatever right so really really good broker should be that quarterback of that team is our opinion and make sure that everyone else kind of stays in their lane. So also, by the way, some people do this and it probably depends on size of transaction, whatever, but ask their CPA lawyer to sell it, even on the open market. I would caution against that too. It'd be kind of like going to, I don't know, a mechanic and asking them to teach your kids coding or something. Like, why would you do that? Right. If that's not what they do every day, all day, I would caution you from doing that. And instead go to that person first, who you think is going to be that person who's going to help you think about that transition holistically and help you be that deal maker. And then they can help you lean on the experts. We're going to help you think through specific implications of each part of that process. Really awesome stuff, Devin. What would be a good place for the audience to reach out to you to learn more about you, learn more about Peterson Acquisitions, maybe take you up on the offer of a free business valuation rather than having to spend a thousand or two bucks somewhere else and doing it? Whether your email address, website, LinkedIn, what's a good place for the audience to reach out or connect with you further? Yeah. PetersonAcquisitions.com is a great place to learn about everything that Peterson Acquisitions is doing. ChadPeterson.com is our education company of some of the other resources I referred to. For me personally, if they want to reach out, uh, you mentioned the YouTube channel. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as well. If you just search Devin Craig Peterson Acquisitions, or if you even just search Google Peterson Acquisitions Seattle, that's my you know individual page within Peterson. And then my email is just Devin, D-E-V-I-N, at petersonacquisitions.com if you just want to send me a note directly. Awesome, Devin. Really appreciate your time. I know this will be helpful for practice owners and business owners listening. So appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. If you guys find this valuable and insightful, review and subscribe on YouTube so you get notified of the future episodes and videos that are published. And we'll catch you next time here on The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com or You can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.